0: back to Twibley, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L, and with me, he's on top of the world, looking down on creation. It's the only inspiration he can find.
1: It's Jeff McLaugh-Huge. Yes, that's me. I've got the whole world in my hands.
0: He's got a little baby in <laughs> his hey, Act- hey, everybody. Yeah, actually got a message. Actually... Finally, get some, some fan mail, I guess you could call it. Um, the other day, somebody had asked me, uh, a listener named Shannon had asked me if we were doing this for fun or if we were doing it for money. And I was like, well, if you're starting a podcast looking to do it for money, that's a bad business model. Right. Pod, podcasting is, is kind of like being in a band in the uh, you know in the 80s and the 90s where the only real money in it is if you're on a major label, which we are not. We
1: uh, <laughs> we're not even on a minor label. We're, we're the guys selling the cassette tapes out of the back of the car, <laughs> and we don't even have a band that plays anything. With the
0: artwork done by a friend,
1: you oh, know? With, in a you know with a ballpoint pen, and every yeah. everyone is different. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so yeah, with podcasts you have to 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 pick up sponsorships you have to be part of a network, basically. To be on a network you have to have X amount of daily listens and we don't have that. Not yet anyway.
1: You guys aren't trying. Yeah. <laughs> Put that out there. We're never so, gonna get you that sweet, sweet podcast lucre unless you people listen.
0: Yeah, how am I gonna get? How am I supposed to get my uh, my free Dollar Shave Club razors if you don't start telling your friends about us?
1: The Turkey of the Month Club, which is the up and coming <laughs> one that we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the Smoked Turkey of the Month Club, which I don't even eat. But yeah, that's the other one. And then there's like two ply toilet paper of the Month Club. That's the other one that. That people are starting to make a big bunch of bank on now wait
0: there's a uh a toilet paper sc- subscription service
1: no just like there's no turkey subscription service i'm just oh, making yeah. these up as i go, as I go along oh. you
0: know the ones that bugged me though were the ones that they they're like so obviously scripted were to be like yeah. uh yeah you know something jeff i uh i've been shaving lately and i I noticed uh, that I go through raises so fast. So I joined the Dollar Shave Club, and they mailed me the raises. And some of the best raises, you know, and they try to make it, like, conversational. It's like, yeah, I know, you're reading off a script. Don't worry about
1: it. Those those bother me, too. And and imagine you will, you know, the future years down the road when Bill and I are doing this for the sweet, sweet AARP money. (laughs) <laughs> we, 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 we come across another story about Emperor Norton, the first emperor of the United States and protector of Mexico, and halfway the through podcast. our rap about something, Bill goes, hey, you know, that reminds me. You know, did you know Emperor Noir probably never stubbed his toe on a table from Ikea? And I go, no, I had no idea. And then there's a five minute Ikea ad from the two of us. At that point, you're legally allowed, I think, to hunt us down and kill us.
0: I actually don't mind commercials in certain podcasts and stuff like that. It's fine. I understand. You got to keep the lights on. There was this one commercial that used to come on. Oh, I forgot what podcast it was, but it was for Grubhub. I wanted to fast forward through it, but then it got to a point where I would just listen to it just because it, it made me so mad that I felt good about being mad about it. About it because the guy was talking about like some of the food that he ordered. I never really fully understood the cliche. Ooh, that hit the spot after you get done eating. It's like, right. I, I get it, but I don't. It's like, okay, right. you were hungry. Now you're not the hungry. Spot. And that hit the spot. Okay. That the that's, spot. that's fine. But the guy said on the commercial, it hit the spot just right.
1: That's- what the
0: are you talking about?
1: <laughs> all right, look, I'm just gonna say it like this. Remember lawn darts, Bill? I do. Remember, you could kind of get in the hula hoop if you yes. were kind of all right. Yeah. But if you were really good, you could get right in the middle of the hula hoop. Oh. Or if you were awesome, you could get it right in the top of your like sibling's head. So there's hitting the spot, and then there's hitting the spot just right. That has nothing to do with food. It does because you only play lawn darts at a cookout, Bill. It all no. comes together.
0: No, no, no. That, this hit the spot just right. It, 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 they're trying to sell you a product. They're trying to sell you Grubhub, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I like food. Sometimes I get hungry, and occasionally I'll eat food and I won't be hungry anymore, but I want something that's going to make me not hungry anymore
1: better. It's a bad choice of phraseology anyway, because I don't want to think that somebody's going to drive by my house and just hurl the food at my door.
0: <laughs> oh, that hit the spot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> all right, before we get into the show proper, I have my trivia question for you. All right, bring it on. I'm all feeling right. good today. Uh, the common myth or misunderstanding or misnomer is that the word karaoke is Japanese for tone deaf, but that is not what it means at all. Okay. What does karaoke mean?
1: I don't know. You know, I'm going to just put this out there before I try to answer, but say that tone deaf is not a bad description of karaoke <laughs> if you've ever heard me. Sing karaoke. Not only is it tone deaf, it's tone blind. Doubled impaired. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Whose turn is it? Is it your turn? It's my turn. It's my turn. I, don't know.
0: I think it was I think I went first last week. I'm going to go first again this week, though. I'm bullying you. It's my turn.
1: Bill, you know, that there's programs that you can get online about bullying. <laughs> help you. Be a star. Three cents a day. You could sponsor a bully chat.
0: So this is the week beginning, March the 29th, and... On March the 29th in the year of our Lord, 1848, Niagara Falls stopped for roughly 30 hours because of an ice jam. Imagine that. Niagara Falls stopped.
1: That sounds like, hey, that's not really a thing. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? Niagara Falls is humongous. Yep. It's huge. It's ginormous.
0: I've been there a couple of times, yeah.
1: It's like the Hoover Dam of falls. It's gigantic. So to think that it's it's frozen to the point where there's no water flowing that you can walk across it's it, yeah, astonishing. Yeah, that yep. must be it. Must have been astonishingly cold for a few weeks leading up to that too, because like it's not like it freezes solid every year. Ice jam. It sounds like a, a music festival. That sucks. Uh- <laughs> think about all the poor like honeymooning couples that were there. Like I wanted to get on the Maid of the Mist, and you ruined it by bringing me here when it's five degrees below zero.
0: They were probably one of the few couples that could actually walk across it, though. <laughs> That's true. And that'd be a hell of a time if it's... The, oh, 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 it's opening up again. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, what's that cracking sound? Run for your lives!
0: <laughs> So first time we went to Niagara Falls, I ended up going there like three times within like a calendar year, right? So the first time we went, we were driving out to St. Louis. I was driving for some vendors for the haunted house stuff, right? And we were like, hey, why don't we go see Niagara Falls on the way? And so now we're driving there and we're basically racing the sunset to get there. We didn't want like, it was just starting to dip at the horizon. And we're like, oh, we're we're not going to make it. It's going to be too dark. So we get there, we walk over, we take our pictures, it's dusk, you know, and all that. We smile, we take our selfies. And then we take off. So I was going back out to the Midwest a couple of months later, and I was telling the people that I was going out on that trip, hey, we should go by at Niagara Falls. It was really cool, and it's kind of on the way. So I start going to Google Maps, and I start looking at Niagara Falls, and you know how you can do like the, uh, the first person perspective? Yeah. So I do that, and I'm like, that's that's not where I was, right? <laughs> See, here's what I did not know. Niagara Falls is not just one waterfall. It's three. Right. It's three. There's America Falls. There's the Bridal Veil Falls, which basically is about the size of a herring run. Then there's Horseshoe Falls, which is what everybody thinks of as Niagara Falls. Where
1: the guys in the barrels go
0: over. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go over a barrel in Bridal Veil and just brag about it. Yeah. I went over to Niagara Falls in a barrel, Bridal Falls. I
1: rode about 70, 75 feet. It was, it was pretty scary for a minute there.
0: I actually did it with a Donald Duck inflatable
1: floaty, is what I did. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so there
0: is an American side to Horseshoe Falls, but yeah, that's not where we went to. So, yeah, we have a bunch of pictures, and it was like, hey, remember that time we didn't go to Niagara Falls? <laughs>
1: I, I've been there once. I went to the American side and was like, wow, this is really cool. What else is there in this town to do? There wasn't much.
0: Yeah, you really have to go to the Canadian, the side. Canadian side. Yeah, the American side's got like a, a Hot rock cafe and a Ripley's Believe It or Not. And um, I said Ripley's Believe It or Not already, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: And I think when I was like, this is, we're going back to like 1994, 94, 95 when I was there. So that was before the Hard Rock Cafe was a thing. So it was probably was like, you know, Buffalo Bob's House of Poutine and that was it, you know, and a couple of like Fleabag Motels. So it's a a strange place. It's it's way more touristy now and it's definitely better on the Canadian side.
0: All right. Moving on to the 30th. March 30th,
1: 1981. U.S. President, (laughs) I'm giggling and I shouldn't be. I'm going to power through. March 30th, 1981, uh, President Ronald Reagan is shot and wounded in an assassination attempt by John Hinckley. He's on his way into his limousine or out of his limousine, and Hinckley just sort of hops out of the crowd with a six shooter, a 38, and starts. So he wounds Reagan, and he wounds three other guys. Uh, James Brady, the guy who's the activist for handgun control, being one of them. That was, I think, Reagan's chief of staff.
0: Yeah, for whom the Brady Bill is named, right?
1: Uh, When uh, tackled and arrested right on the spot, Hinckley's motivation for this was to, to sort of win a dream date with Jodie Foster. I don't know how he figured that that would get Jodie Foster's attention, but in this weird melding of, like, real life and movies, he was sort of living out part of the plot of the movie Taxi Driver, of which Jodie Foster was an actress in. So it's a really weird kind of story, and Hinkley was definitely got some issues going on up in the brain pan.
0: Uh, interesting bit—a uh, bit of trivia about that. Uh, your friend of mine there, Hinkley, is very distantly—it's like eighth cousin or something like that. Very distantly, but he is related to the Bush family.
1: Oh, <laughs> no motivation there. And this—yeah, there's, there's, it's all Jody Foster. It wasn't like great uncle third removed George. Yeah.
0: There is there is some conspiracy theory there that he was sent by the Bush family like and that like somebody had lunch with him like the day before or whatever but um i i think it's just it's arkham's razor Hinkley is cuckoo bananas and he had a thing for jody foster
1: well since his attempt was sort of mirrored part of the plot of taxi driver it makes it it makes a weird sort of sense in a crazy world yeah. so
0: it was on tv on constantly a million times constantly. yeah I,
1: I can still see the footage of that well it was it's the rare one that it was the whole thing was caught on tape from before it happened to during the event to the aftermath of the event to them speeding off in the limousine with Reagan in the limousine for the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. So that whole thing was captured by like three different news networks, So it was shown constantly. Let's roll the film. For like two weeks, yeah. Yeah, Because, well, I mean, Reagan's life hung in the balance for a while, too. Like, they weren't sure how bad he was hurt. It collapsed his lung. It almost killed him. So it was like three channels, man. That was before CNN in 81. So they're going to run with the news that they have. And assassination attempt on the U.S. president is definitely, it's going to preempt other stuff on TV.
0: How much it was on TV, they even parried it. Remember the On Saturday Night Live, they did Gumby Get Shot. Yeah, and, and it happened, like, through, like, the entire episode. Like, yeah. they would do a sketch, and then it would come back, and they would be like, we repeat, Gumby has been shot, let's roll the film. And, like, every sketch throughout yeah. the entire night, Gumby has been shot, let's roll the film. And then Hickley, they released him from prison, uh, I want to say recently, but I think it was, like, two years ago. I think it was in 2019.
1: What did you learn? I'm sure he's under supervised release. <laughs> like, who knows who, who will go after next to, to try and impress, like, you know, the woman who does the voice in Despicable, Despicable Me 2 or, or the, yeah, the, the, somebody from the Emoji movie. All
0: right, let's move on to March the 31st. <laughs> March the 31st, 1985. The first WrestleMania. Ah, yes. I remember yeah. that. I mean, it was a big deal at that point. Wrestling was still of a, a, more of a regional thing. You know, Vince McMahon had this dream that he wanted to go worldwide. You know, it was called the World Wrestling Federation, but it was still very regional. They they mainly just stuck up in the Northeast. Correct. He put all of his money on, on Black, you know. He gambled with WrestleMania because if WrestleMania didn't work, there would be no WWF. Or, you know, it's WWE now, but at the time. If it didn't succeed, yeah, that that would have been the end of wrestling as we know it, I guess.
1: All I remember from that was that you, you could buy tickets to go and see, you could go and see the event at a stadium as if you were at a wrestling show, but they showed it like on the, whatever the Jumbotron right. was called in 85. In yeah, it was
0: available as uh, like a closed circuit TV.
1: Yeah, not just at like a, at arenas, but they also had it like
0: even at local gymnasiums and stuff like that. I remember my friend uh, my friend Bob
1: went to see it. It was, it was only a year or two later that they were able to do it as pay-per-view through cable TV subscription.
0: I think the first one that was available on pay-per-view was I think it was WrestleMania 5. I think that was the first one. Um, At least that's the first one that I saw. So the, the big main attraction for that one was Rowdy Roddy Piper with Paul Orndorff as his tag partner versus... Hulk Hogan with Mr. T as his tag part. And Mr. T had such an ego at that time, because it's 1985, Mr. T was a huge star. Like I said, we were still in the territory years of wrestling, Wrestling wasn't a big thing, you know, and they and we, it was still a huge thing, you know. They kept the business, you know, very secret at that time. All the wrestlers didn't like Mr. T because they, you know, they just felt he didn't belong. That was also like loaded up with celebrities. I remember Liberace was there. Uh, of course, Cindy Lauper was there. She was part of the Rock and Wrestling Connection at that time. Piece of trivia for all our wrestling fans out there. Maybe I should have asked this question at the beginning of the show. Who was? The first person in the ring for WrestleMania, like the very, the very first wrestler in the very first match.
1: Bill, I couldn't have told you any of the people in any of the rings Something. at any time. It was a wrestler,
0: by yeah, and but you yes. might recognize the name. Do you recognize the name Playboy Buddy Rose? Nope. Nope. Playboy Buddy Rose was this wrestler. He was like, he was wicked fat. They used to bill him as like, they would say 350 pounds. And he goes, I'm not 350, I'm 250. But he was very obviously 350. He was a big fat dude. But he wore a wrestling mask for that match. And he was the executioner. But yeah, Playboy Buddy Rose will go down in history as the first man in a WrestleMania ring.
1: Be impressed with my wrestling knowledge. I am impressed with your wrestling knowledge. It's, It's one of those things like, you know, when this one kind of came up in in research for this week, I was like, aren't those like the Mad Magazine super specials where they only do 17 (laughs) or 18 of those a year? Yes and
0: no. I mean... There's a pay-per-view just about every month in wrestling with, with WWE.
1: Hell, do- hell in a Cell. There's like yeah. the Armandillo and Amarillo and there's the <laughs> you know, dispute in Beirut and whatever. But like I didn't realize that they were all just branded as WrestleMania.
0: No, there's one big show a year called WrestleMania. Like last year they did it because it was right at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. They did it over the course of two nights with absolutely no audience whatsoever. It was really surreal to watch. You know, it's like this is WrestleMania. Usually WrestleMania goes on for like, it's awful. I was it's like seven hours long. It's like oh my god! It's like it's like it's like participating in a marathon.
1: Do you get like a do you get a T-shirt or something after you watch it, or do you make it all the way through? Like I go to the Moby Dick marathon when when they actually have it in person at the Whaling Museum. Yeah. It's twenty four hours of Moby Dick, and at the end, I get a copy of the book.
0: Ooh. No, you don't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to April
1: Fool's Day. April Fool's Day, April 1st. April 1st, 1991. <laughs> hey, hey, guess what? We'll get you're getting a raise. <laughs> <Yeah>. April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in 1991, depending on where you worked, you did get a raise from $3.80 to $4.25 per hour. That was the at the time the most recent raise in the US minimum wage. So, 91 it went from 380 to 425, and here we are 30 years later and it's 7 Twenty-five an hour nationwide. So, clearly, yeah, minimum wage hasn't kept pace with the pace of cost of living or inflation, but... Yeah,
0: that's the minimum wage, the federal minimum wage, and I, I don't know how many states actually abide by that. Not many. I do know that New Hampshire is one of them. Yes, yes, we are. Uh, at that time, right, I was working at a gas station when I was 18 years old, and I was making $3.85 an hour. Minimum wage was a little bit less than that at the time. So, it was like three seventy-five. but I was making three eighty five because you know I make that kind of money. And then I got a job working at a factory and I was making five dollars and twenty-five cents an hour and I was like,
1: oh, you yes. peasants <laughs> Look upon my magnificence with my new sneakers that did not come from Mars Bargain Land.
0: (laughs) I'm going to buy me a sandwich and it shall be wrapped in wax paper. I can afford that kind of luxury.
1: Yeah, so... You know, seven 25 isn't really meant to be able to provide, like, room and board for a person, but it's meant to sort of be so you can meet your basic needs. Right now, seven twenty-five an hour is is barely enough for you to buy some of the food that you'd eat if you still lived with your parents. It's, uh, it definitely needs to be adjusted one way or the other. And a lot of states have taken to adjusting it up to 11 or, in some cases, 14 or $15 an hour, depending on where you live.
0: Seven twenty-five an hour translates to roughly, like, $15,000 a year. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's,
0: you're not going to have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of with that right. kind of, yeah. Right. Uh, I haven't really paid attention to what the minimum wages are. Uh, I know in Massachusetts, it's like, I think it's around $13 an hour. Think about that. If you're living up near the border between New Hampshire and Massachusetts, where you kind of like have the option where you can work at either place, If you live, like, right on the border, it's like, well, I'm going to get a job at Wendy's. So am I going to work at the one in Salem, New Hampshire, or am I going to work at the one in, like, Lawrence, Mass., which, for those not around here, those are, like, right over the border from each other. Right,
1: one another, yeah. Yeah. Definitely going to try and get in in Lawrence, right.
0: You know, you can make almost double the money working at the Wendy's in Lawrence, or, or Methuen. I think that's actually the next town over.
1: Yes. You can thank the fourth largest legislature on the planet Earth. That's the New Hampshire legislature. This sclerotic legislature that still thinks that it's too much money for those damn kids to have.
0: With their rock and roll music and their wacky their, pinball machines, with their
1: sock hops and their and their, <laughs> and their chocolate malted and, and their 25 cent freak shows on Saturday. So anyway, uh that's minimum wage. Minimum minimum wage. wage. <laughs> Both of us did it at the same time. Whoosh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to April the 2nd. Ooh, I love I love stuff like this. Yeah. April the 2nd, 1877. The first human cannonball act. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. It is performed by a 14-year-old, Rosa Matilda Richter. Wow.
1: 14-year-old girl.
0: Yeah, 14-year-old girl. Oh, Here you go. Get in, get in the cannon, honey. <laughs> It'll be swell. <laughs> yeah, she was known as Zazel at the Royal Aquarium in London.
1: What an amazing job to have at 14. I'm striking out on my own, Mom. I've got a good gig. What is it you do at the aquarium? Do you feed the seals? Nope. Do you feed the fish? Nope. Do you do, like, a a show with dolphins? Not exactly. (laughs) Do you shoot me out of a cannon?
0: You make a lot of money doing that? Eh, (laughs) minimum
1: wage. (laughs) I get to keep what the seals don't eat. (laughs) Uh, Again, this is, you know, 1877 in the years before television and movies you had to get your entertainment where you could and you had to draw people into those in environments when you could get them so if watching people look at fish wasn't enough but we also have a human cannonball arboreum down the street doesn't have a human cannonball they have birds sure but you can see birds in the park we've
0: got human possible human sacrifice on the agenda uh- <laughs>
1: Come for the human cannonball, stay for the horseshoe crab.
0: Ten years later, she's 24, belly up in a bar, just a has-been.
1: I used to be somebody. I was a human cannonball (laughs) once, you know.
0: (laughs) And also think about this. She was the first... Human cannonball, where somebody <laughs> saw that and like, I know what I want to be when I grow
1: up. Right, exactly. I, this is a growth industry. I, <laughs> let's get us out of the aquarium business. Let's get us into the traveling circus business. That's where the real growth is for this.
0: Now here's a question, right? How many people do you think? Because the human cannonball is an illusion. <laughs> you know, there's a spring loaded. Yeah,
1: it's not a. Uh, it's not a cannon. It's, it, yeah. That would just be a human. <laughs> be, yeah. They don't. You don't perform that trick once you need a lot of 14 year old girls to make that work as a as a continuous piece of employment
0: yeah there's a spring-loaded platform you know within and then they light a thing there is a flashbang, but it you know it's it's a platform that's spring-loaded that shoots the person out now that's how our friend rosa matilda was doing it right but the people that saw it and said we could do this how many people do you think they accidentally like blew up trying to recreate (laughs)
1: I don't know. I'm sure there were plenty.
0: How many people do they blow up before they figure out, you know what? I think there's a gimmick. There's a G on this joint.
1: I don't think they use an actual cannon. <laughs> All the people that we've tried this with ended up getting a bad case of permanent ankle hippolytus. Their <laughs> ankles and hips are forced up into the spine.
0: All right. What do we got for the third?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> staying in the age of invention, April 3rd, 1882. Oh, just wood, a few years earlier. Just a few years earlier. The wood block alarm is invented. And when the alarm rang, and I'm going to say we're using rang in the colloquial version of what alarm clocks do, rather than ring a bell or make a little chirpy bird come out or some other thing that's clockwork, it dropped 20 wooden blocks, which must have scared the ever-loving blue-eyed bejeebus out of whoever was trying to sleep. Okay, imagine 20 one. blocks falling out of an alarm clock onto your Hold hardwood floor. On your
0: hardwood floor. See, my imagination imagination that it dropped like twenty hardwood blocks on the dude's head.
1: You know? <laughs> oh! oh geez, I'm right, get up already. Not going to sell
0: a lot of these, I don't right.
1: think. Just would do for the snooze button. Beat me over there with a the frying pan. <laughs> I
0: used to set my alarm clock, you know, the radio, to the radio stations. And I would set it up to Fun 107, which is our local hit music radio station. So I would rush like hell to shut it off.
1: we put the F.U. in.
0: Yeah. <sighs> now what I have is uh, I have the special alarm, you know, because it's on your phone. You can customize all that stuff. So mine, I have it with it, just releases a stream of vulgarities. Oh,
1: nice. And that,
0: yeah, that way the conversation wasn't so one sided. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We just swear back and forth at each other, yeah.
1: I'm going to just go out on a limb and, and make this historical connection that this is probably where Jenga came from. Yeah. So somebody was like, all right, I got to put the clock back. I need five more minutes of sleep, man. I got a busy day ahead of me, and I just need five more minutes. And they're like, three on the bottom, and then three across, and then three next, and then three more boxes, and th- until you get se- seven layers of sticks.
0: This also might have been a prototype for the uh, 1970s game Perfection. Huh?
1: Uh, that one? That's right, yeah. Yes. And I'm sure it got used just as often. Well, that <laughs> alarm clock woke me up once, and into the wood stove it went. <laughs> With the Monopoly game. With the Monopoly game, yes. I guess it's the spiritual grandfather of the alarm clock. They used to make the one that would, like, roll off the thing and roll around on your floor.
0: Oh, F that. Yeah. No, yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. I
1: don't, <laughs> don't want to be that violent one minute after I open my eyes.
0: Yeah, I got. there's enough swearing going on in the morning at my house. I don't need that, too.
1: Get over here, you little s***. Sh- <laughs> i'll fix you
0: and wrapping up the week uh, but this is a little dark this week i think <laughs> uh, um, yeah it is it wasn't the shooting of reagan that we thought that was a good part of the story It was uh it was Hinckley. but check this one out ready this is a little dark so later on uh in 1950 april the 4th 1958 cheryl crane another 14 year old boy what an ambitious time in the in America.
1: Huh? Well, it was tough yeah. like there were no human cannonball jobs around at that time, so something <laughs> <laughs> else. She should have went over the
0: border uh, cuz there's more jobs available there for less right. money. But anyway, 1958, Cheryl Crane at 14 years old, the daughter of famous actress Lana Turner, stabs to yeah, organized crime figure. This is the guy's name, ready? Johnny Stompanato. That sounds like a gangster name. Like, right. you're kind of born to be a gangster. With
1: when- It comes yeah. out, they put him on the Apgar table, like, oh, he's got five fingers on each hand, five toes on each foot.
0: Yeah, you, you, there's not a lot of uh, career choices with a name like that. Yeah, so and it's Johnny Stompanato. And that's not even like a gangster name. That's his real name because he's a junior. <laughs> My father was a Stompanato. His father was a Stompanato. So anyway, yeah, she stabbed to death. It was uh, her mother's boyfriend.
1: Rumor has it he was really like abusive to her. And in Lana Turner's testimony at the trial, where she's like, "I was walking out of the room, and we had been having an argument, and Cheryl walked past me, and I never saw that she had this eight-inch murder knife in her hand. <laughs> and then she she walked up and she stabbed him in the gut, and that's what killed him. So,
0: well, that must be a because imbe- he he was like a gangster. He was an organized crime, you know. Right. And uh, you know he was like the Louis the Lilac of Hollywood." And, and I, you know, there's a lot to unpack here because Lana Turner, she was like a huge star, Yeah, you know, and like you couldn't get anybody that wasn't in the crime syndicate, you know,
1: there's a couple of different ways you can look at the story. Like there's, there were rumors at the time that Lana Turner like stabbed him herself and then pinned it on a daughter because her daughter was under 18. That was a suggestion. But there was no evidence to that. Cheryl Crane ultimately came out and put out a book. Is like, no, no, I stabbed him. He was terrible. I watched him beat my mom up, and I couldn't deal with it. So
0: imagine being in that crime family and having to explain it.
1: Hey, what happened to Johnny? huh?
0: oh yeah, he got he, he stabbed to death by a, by a third grader. <laughs> Yeah, fourteen. would put her like eighth grade or, or high school, but yeah, still.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a crazy story. Like uh, kids will have your back in some in some instances, and in some instances, when you really need your kid to have your front, they'll have it with an eight inch knife. Yep.
0: She was made in the crime syndicate at age fourteen. She took out the boss.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, and for those for those who don't, who don't know the story, like she she ended up. Uh, the, it was ruled a justifiable homicide that so she she did it to protect her mother, and the, the jury saw it that way, and she she spent like a year in jail. Waiting for the trial to happen, and then the trial happened, and she was released. But yeah, it's a crazy story.
0: Wow, there was no bail bonds for her. Jeez, 40 years yeah. old and nobody yeah, knows no, no bail. For the trouble,
1: She went to a juvenile home. That's where she. Oh. That's where she waited for trial. Because there's no. You can't. You don't bail out kids. Bail doesn't apply to minors. All right, so let's
0: get on to the celebrity birthdays.
1: March 29th, 1959, Perry Farrell, the former lead singer of Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pyros, they were super duper influential in like 1989. Uh, he was born in Queens, New York. Also went on, um, once he stopped kind of making records, to spearhead this monstrous touring festival show called Lollapalooza.
0: Yeah, I think either a Porno for Pyros or Jane's Addiction was part of the First, Lollapalooza. But they didn't yep. they didn't headline it. But that was like his thing. I love his stage name. Perry Farrell. It's a play on words. Peripheral. Perry Farrell. Oh, I never see. I
1: never knew that. Perry yeah. per- Peripheral. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I wonder yeah. what his real name is. Hey, I, I, it's I, Johnny Stomponato. Tied from <laughs> Land Turner's Daughter.
0: Ne- I never went to see any of the Lollapaloozas. I, I would have liked to have seen the first one. They had a pretty cool lineup to them. I remember Rollins Band opened the show. Uh, no, sorry. Rollins Band didn't open the show. Body Count. I think Body Count was on that first Lollapalooza.
1: I remember the the MTV incessantly played like whatever Lollapalooza show was coming. Yeah, but that first Lollapalooza, they had like they had people embedded. They're like, I'm. I can't remember any of the VJs names from that year, but I. Oh, Kennedy. I'm Johnny Stompanato Jr. and I'm at Lollapalooza. There's 17 yeah. miles of traffic on this two-lane road, and everybody right. wants to murder us. So yeah,
0: but I, then it went away, and then they brought it back, and you know the world caught on fire in 2020. So we'll see what happens uh, in the years going forward. You know who they can get they can get that ice jam band from Niagara <laughs> Falls. That <I> have, <laughs> uh Moving on to. Uh, moving on to the 30th, I have a man by the name of Mark Davis, born in 1913, and right now, y'all are scratching your head and saying, who the hell is Mark Davis? Well, Mark Davis is an animator, and he is the designer of many of the Disney characters that you would know from, like, the original Disney cartoons. So he designed uh, Snow White, Thumper from Bambi, Cinderella, Tinkerbell, Bell, de Deville, yada, 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 and yada. That's
1: Famous a big area. span, like... Corolla oh. de Villa, that was well, 101 Dalmatians. Was that in the 70s?
0: Uh, no. First one on his list was Snow White in 1937. And then Hundred One Dalmatians was like very early sixties, like sixty one.
1: Oh, um, I'm thinking of the Rescuers, which is like the seventies, and that was Don right. Bluth's group. I didn't know he if he was still developing characters for that that era. Okay, yeah, cool, interesting.
0: Yeah. Yep, a lot of rotoscoping with his animation style. You know, th- he would use like human uh, human characters, right? And then like draw the animations over them. Yeah.
1: All right. Next up, March thirty first, nineteen seventy one. Scottish actor Ewan McGregor, known probably best as the uh, the. Star Wars prequels version of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yep. The one that's I hesitate to say the definitive Obi-Wan Kenobi. He did a great job. I think he did a fantastic job. It was the, yep. it was the best thing to come out of those prequels. I'm going to put that right out there. Oh, well. getting her got his own show that Disney Plus or something is putting out. Yep. Which I think is great. He was always a fun character to watch. I liked him. And in the Clone Wars, although, again, it wasn't Ewan McGregor, but it was a character based on Ewan McGregor's character that was the Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. Character.
0: Yep. He started off, I think one of his first movies was Trainspotting. Yep. I
1: remember our, our mutual friend Jim
0: was going on about that movie when it first came out. I never saw it, though.
1: It's good. You might have to watch it with subtitles on, but it's worth it. The <laughs> book's great, too.
0: Also, interesting fact about our friend Ewan McGregor, true Star Wars geeks already know this, but... His uncle played Wedge Antilles in the original Star Wars trilogy. That's right. All right, uh, next up April 1st, April Fool's Day, 1883. So, uh, right around the same time that there was a human cannonball, I guess. Maybe they dated, who knows? Uh, Your friend and mine, Lon Chaney Sr., the man of a thousand
1: faces. Born in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: That guy was so good at makeup. I talk about him in my, uh, my seminars for the Haunted Houses. So good at makeup that he actually didn't need makeup. I show three pictures of Lon Chaney that he's just manipulating his facial expression, so much to a point that those three pictures look like three different people. That's how good that guy was, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've seen him in uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yep, I saw that weird restored, but it's restored with stills version of London After Midnight, which is the great Chaney lost sort of fake vampire film. Right, and I've seen some of the weird shorts that he did, like uh, the guy who sort of untangles himself, <laughs> and I saw the one where he plays an old lady as part of a gang.
0: Can't yeah, that. that's actually that that's one of the pictures that I used in that because he did it without makeup, right? Yeah, yep. Von Chaney set an incredibly high bar in special effects, makeup, and and acting. It's one of those things where it's it's like the Beatles with this. big been plenty of bands since the beatles that are better but because they set such a high bar very early on that the bar, the bar just kind of stays there and that's how lon chaney is plenty of people that are probably way better than lon chaney was but because that bar was set so high so early that people will still always consider him one of the best all
1: right ne- next up april 2nd 1941 dr demento Yes. Born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dr. Demento, for those of you who don't know, was a radio DJ who had a, I think it was a Saturday night show, a Friday night show, from like 10 o'clock at night at Eastern time until 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning, where he played parody records and comedy bits and had... No- novelty music. Novelty music, yeah. Generally weird stuff on his show. It's That's where uh, Weird Al Yankovic got his start. Yep. Weird Al
0: Yankovic oh. was a big fan of the Dr. Demento show, and he would just like record himself with his friend at a tape recorder and send in songs yeah so. and dr memento played them that's how that was the springboard for al yankovic's career yeah
1: he also had guys on like wild man fisher who uh, like a street musician who ended up recording a record with frank zappa and then is just out there um among dozens upon dozens of others so i know for me that was where i got my exposure to stuff like to some frank zappa music for sure to you weirdo know, yankovic and and lots of other strange strange songs from non-novelty records making acts
0: even i remember once one time i was playing i was i was out on a date with this girl and i was i was like you got to hear this i was playing some of the like the dr demento music and one of the songs was called speeders western and it's about a bunch of swedish people and they're gonna make a a western movie you know like an american style western movie but the whole thing is all done with the swedish accent and the The guy guy keeps mentioning that his girlfriend's name is Gertrude, and the girl that I'm on a date with is, like, busted out laughing. I go, what's so funny? And she's, like, pinching her nose because she's laughing, you know? And she goes, my mom's name is Gertrude. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up, April the 3rd, 1907. A man by the name of Iron Eyes Cody. Do you know who that is? (laughs) Apparently, you do. Yes.
1: I mean, uh, yes, Iron Eyes Cody. He played a lot of um, what we say at the time now, stereotypical, but he played a lot of American Indian characters in Hollywood westerns but uh, the, right up through the 1980s.
0: I remember him because he was on a series of commercials about pollution. Like, keep America beautiful was right. the slogan. And it would show, like, these big piles of garbage along the side of the road. And it would show this Native American or American Indian, you know, just there. And then he would turn towards the camera And he would be crying because, you know, they're destroying the native land of these, uh, you know, the indigenous land of these uh, Native Americans. The big thing is that guy's about as Native American as I am. Um, He is the son of Italian immigrants. Uh, I mean, he's an American actor, but his parents were... Both born in Italy.
1: His real name is Espera Oscar de Corti. (laughs) That's Iron Eyes Cody. Yeah, he was uh, definitely used in a lot of advertisements.
0: Yeah, he was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, yep. Well, happy birthday, Iron Eyes. And wrapping it up, who do we got?
1: April 4th, 1908. college football player named Roy Regals, uh, known to the world after 1929 as Roy Wrongway Regals, (laughs) who uh, picked up a fumble uh, in the 1929 Rose Bowl between the California Golden Bears for whom he played and the Georgia tech yellow jackets started to run bumped into a tackle and turned bumped into another guy and turned and just ran off as fast as he could towards his own goal line he ran 69 (laughs) yards before his quarterback was able to stop him and they got tackled tackled on the one yard line that's awesome Uh, so he ran 69 yards in the wrong direction uh he was so embarrassed by this that he didn't want to come out for the second half of the game but his coach convinced him to go out and finish the play. It's considered the worst play in college football history. And I'm not a college football guy, so I barely understand the terminology that I'm using to describe this, but it's hard to score an own goal in football. <laughs> yeah. And he almost did it with a really long run.
0: Think. Like, why are my own guys chasing well, after me?
1: Get away from me, you idiots! No, Regals. What, are you, <laughs> what are you doing, you morons? Right? You can just see, like, in the heat of it, it's like, oh, sh- there's nobody after me <laughs> and just tearing off like yeah, I'm, I'm free I'm going no one's going to catch me now and the other team isn't even they're not even chasing from what I read as he was running along the, the out of bounds line he's running by the other team's benches and they're all like jumping and yelling and the coach is like sit down and shut up he's going <laughs> to he's going to win the game for us right
0: <laughs> they ended up ultimately losing the game too right yeah they did yeah they did that reminds me of uh, from the schoolhouse rock the interjections hooray I'm for the other team <laughs> No one else reminds me of um, Schoolhouse Rock. I mean, I really like some of the songs, but some of them, oh my God, they were... The worst song ever. Uh, Jeff, uh, since I started the show this week and you started the birthdays, I'm going to take the reins over here for... The worst song ever.
1: I'm going to take my headphones off before we start this segment so then I don't have to hear us talk about (laughs) it because I'm going to be earwormed for a month.
0: I'm going to read you a couple of lyrics and you tell me if you know what song this is from. Ready? Okay. (laughs) Bigger are them think they have more power. Them on the phone, me said that on our. Me for want to use... This sounds like Cookie Monster. Me for want to use it once to call me lover. Lover, who be going to call in... On the one Tammy.
1: I I know exactly what song that is. That's Imagined by John Lennon.
0: (laughs) The reason why you or anyone else may not recognize these lyrics is because the lyrics in this song are completely intelligible. This is the song Informer by known gangster rapper (laughs) from Toronto, Canada, Snow. Before we go ripping into this, let's let's just play the clip. Yep. A licky boom boom down.
1: You know, reflecting back on on the cultural appropriation of Iron Eyes Cody. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about a, a Vancouver native from the Great White North. Emphasizing on the white, affecting a Jamaican patois and doing dancehall reggae. I can understand why. People shake their head at musical choices.
0: This is Irie Ice Cody over here.
1: (laughs) Irie. It's one of those, like, out of Jamaica come nine billion songs that are better than this one. But don't get airplay and don't chart. You know, Jimmy Cliff doesn't chart. Bob Marley didn't chart. But frickin' Informer charted. Seven weeks at number one. Yeah, seven Seven weeks, Bill. Yeah.
0: Oddly enough, though, it was such a gimmick, though, because. Like it came and went so fast.
1: Seven weeks feels like a hundred years to me. It
0: may have been on, you know, the number one song for seven weeks, but the song basically lasted fourteen weeks. It came and went so fast. It was in style and out of style so fast. It messed up my hair.
1: <laughs>
0: you want to hear something terrible, though? You want this is a, it
1: was like tie dyed eyes on. This, shirt.
0: this is a true story. I I just started working in the uh, in the shop that I work in. One of the lead machinists loved this song, and he bought the ready for this cassette single, just to give you a, a spin on how old it is, this yep. mother played this song on the cassette single for the entirety of our boss's lunch break, so it was an hour. He played it, rewound it, played it again, rewound it, played it again. I heard the song on a loop for a freaking hour.
1: <laughs> no, I would have murdered that yeah. person. Like like Cheryl. Good old Cheryl with the eight-inch knife and St- Johnny stompinato <laughs> I actually remember this. There was this run of pseudo nonsense songs. There was there was this one. There was a song from Shaba Ranks, which was actually from the islands, yep. and a couple of other ones that sort of brought that sort of dance hall thing to the forefront for a very very short time. It seemed to have come and come and gone real real quick.
0: But yeah, that Jamaican dance hall like genre, like you could barely fill up a KTEL record with it. It didn't last very long, right? His real name is Darren Kenneth O'Brien. Like seriously, you couldn't get any whiter than that. I, I should say you couldn't get any less Jamaican than
1: that. He's the least Jamaican man in the right, world. Yeah. Yes.
0: The Wikipedia lists him as still, you know, presently active. You know, I don't know what county fair he's performing at. Hey, what do you think he's gonna? <laughs> what do you think
1: he's gonna close with? Now, Johnny, you know I tried to get those juggling clowns that you like so much for your fifth birthday. They weren't available, and they're a little bit pricey. I was able, however, to get snow. No! What did I do wrong? I'll be good. <laughs> right. I've been a good boy. It's only my fifth birthday. I'm wounded for life.
0: Now, one thing I do remember about this song, it was really popular. It was the number one song for almost two months. It was in heavy rotation on MTV. And at one point, because the lyrics were so intelligible, they would actually have a version of the video that scrolled the lyrics along the bottom, like, you know, for the hearing impaired.
1: This song made me wish I was hearing impaired. More hearing impaired than I currently am. And it was such a
0: relief to me, too, because I thought I was like an idiot thinking that the lyric was a licky boom boom down, because that's what it sounds like he's saying. And then the lyrics went scrolling across the screen. And sure enough, a licky boom boom down. Well,
1: it's one of those, like, I, I, this sounds like all gibberish, and then I verified that I didn't have a stroke or, <laughs> you know, nobody hit me working hard in the head or anything with a rock. And then it's like, this song is dumb. It's like uh, you spilled out a bag of uh, verbs and nouns and sort of stuck them together, and this is what we get.
0: The lyrics of the song are basically talking about how gangster he is and how he was, like, locked up and stuff. It's like, yeah, dude, you're from Toronto. You're yeah. You're from Niagara Falls almost, you know? (laughs) He could be a part of the Ice Jam Music Festival. Yep. So speaking of lyrics scrolling across the screen, uh, my trivia question for you at the beginning of the show was, what does karaoke actually mean? What does it translate to?
1: going to say it means like sing with your friends.
0: All right, I'll give you a hint. What does karate translate to? Open hand. Karaoke translates to empty orchestra.
1: Oh, or, okay. So, yeah. Or like open mic, yeah, I yeah. guess.
0: Empty orchestra, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That sense. yeah. Oh, that's cool.
0: Yep, yeah. there it is. There's your answer.
1: There it yeah. is. There's the answer.
0: I kind of like the urban legend that stands for tone deaf a little
1: bit better. Yeah, I don't know. Karaoke is wicked fun. I mean, it, I, I like to, I like back Whenever the world goes back to normal. But I like I like to go and listen to people croon out terrible versions of it, Sweet Child of Mine. It's
0: fun until that girl that thinks she can sing gets up and does four non blondes. It's
1: like oh uh, you know, Jesus even that Christ. it's 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 when her friends get up and, and do it again. That's when I start to be like, God, oh, check please. <laughs> but no, it's 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 fun. It's a cool thing and it's it's nice to watch people kinda like you know, either inebriate themselves to the point where they they go up and sing for a bunch of strangers like they had would never do yeah. had they not consumed a half a bottle of Jack Daniels. But it's fun. And I'm glad it means open orchestra and not talentless Yahoo yeah. with microphones. And then you get the
0: other side of it, the people that are like the karaoke stars. Right. We talked about the bar being raised high. That is a low-ass bar right there. <laughs> That is the, lim- the Limbo Championships of the world. That bar isn't even that low. Anyway, that's going to wrap up our show for this week. We will see you next week, everyone. Have a great week because I said
1: so. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week. And it'll probably be better.